0: you'll turn with me in your bibles to numbers chapter 13 i want to uh, continue talking to you about our covenant keeping god for the last few weeks uh, we've been talking about how our god is a god who makes covenants with people god in heaven makes covenants with men isn't that amazing And these covenants are contractual agreements that God makes with men to bring goodness and blessing into the lives of men. God does not come into a contract with us, uh, mafioso style, you know, put a contract out on us. God doesn't put a contract out on us. He makes contracts with us. God wants to be in a, He wants us to be in agreement with Him, and He has gone to great, great lengths to uh, 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 get ma- mankind to come into agreement with Him, so that He could bring salvation, redemption, and blessing into the lives of humankind. And we need to believe that about Him. God's covenants with us are for our good. And it's for God's good in that God gets the desire of his heart, and that's to be able to uh, restore us unto his family and into his relationship uh, and to make peace with us. Amen? Amen? And so we talked about how God doesn't, he doesn't just make covenants, but he keeps them. You know, men, and I had this conversation with someone this morning on Facebook, <laughs> uh, you know. Men make covenants, and then they break them. Even religious people. Religious people will make covenants, you know, like the covenants that were made in the founding of this country when our forefathers says, we, we, we plant the flag of Christ on, the, uh, on this continent, and our purpose in being here is to preach the gospel. To the inhabitants of this land, and and to preach the gospel into all the world, and uh, they we make this our solemn oath and our 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 covenant with God, in in His name, and man they they had great intentions, they had great purpose, and it was a it was a covenant that God has honored throughout the history of this church. Now, religious people they perverted the covenant. And they basically went, you know, to the native inhabitants and said, you know, if you, if you don't convert, you're going to die. We're going to kill you. And then they, then they said, you know, we want, we, want, we want you to be Christians, but you got to leave, you've got to give us your land. And they kept pushing them off the land. Y'all know the story. It's an ugly story. Well, those are religious people. Those are not necessarily Christians. See, Christians, Christians do not lie. They do not steal, they do not murder, they do not take what's not theirs. That's not Christian. Religious people will do that. Religious people are the meanest people on earth. That's what Muslims are, they're religious people, religious fanatics. That's what Buddhists are, that's what, that's what the Hindus are. And that's what a lot of so-called Christians are, they're just religious. And those, those are the most evil people in the world. They'll do, they'll do everything in the name of their religion and their God. They'll kill you in the name of Jesus. But true Christianity is not that. True Christianity is, is people who keep their covenants, they keep their word, and they show love and mercy to everyone they meet. Just like God does. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, then we talked about how the covenants that God makes are sacred to God because they're all sealed in blood. And there are a lot of churches and religions today that don't like to talk about blood. They don't, they don't mention covenants. They don't mention blood covenants. They don't mention the sufferings of the cross. They don't mention how Jesus bled every drop of blood and for the remission of our sins. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. They don't bring any of that up, and so they, they, they've completely purged their, their worship services and their literature and their sermons and their prayers of any mention of the blood. But that, that's, that's how they become religious mean people. Because the blood reminds you of the price that was paid in order for us to have a relationship with God. Amen. The blood of God's own Son was shed on the cross, THAT BY THAT BLOOD WE MIGHT HAVE AN ENTRANCE INTO HIS KINGDOM. AND SO THE GOSPEL IS A BLOODY GOSPEL. Yes, AND ALL OF THE THINGS THAT GOD WANTS TO DO FOR YOU AND TO DO IN OUR LIVES it IS MADE POSSIBLE BY THE SHEDDING OF THE BLOOD OF JESUS. WITHOUT THAT BLOOD SHED, WE HAVE NO BASIS FOR ANY CLAIMS AND ANY INHERITANCE WITH GOD. WE HAVE NO RIGHTS. We don't even have the privilege of coming before him. But the blood, the Bible says, the blood of Jesus has brought us near to God. Can you say amen? So it's a bloody covenant. And I'm going over this because some, some of you weren't here for those. And so the rest of you, bear, bear with me while I bring them up to speed. Our God is a, is a covenant-keeping God. We break covenants, but God never breaks covenant. God never goes back on His Word. God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. If God says it, He will do it. Amen? If God says it, He will do it. If He signs His name on something, He always keeps His Word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one little jot or tittle, comma, or apostrophe uh, of the contract will ever pass away because God is... Is a covenant-keeping God, and it's based upon the shedding of His blood. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, today I want to talk to you about how you're believing that. You're believing that is is called faith, and faith is is uh, is really you acting on what you believe the covenant gives you so I want to talk to you this morning about some actions of faith, some faith actions that, that, that will follow your commitment to believe and trust God and in, in His covenant. Amen. Just saying you are a believer is not good enough. You have to put action with it. The whole book of James is about, you know, you say you have faith, uh, show me your actions. Show me your corresponding actions. Well, if you say you're trusting in the covenant that God has made and sealed in the blood of His own Son, if you say you you believe that covenant and you're trusting in that covenant, first of all, you're going to find out what the terms of that covenant are, aren't you? You need to read the fine print. You need to read what God has promised to do for you, and you need to read what you're promising to do for God. You need to read what God's responsibilities are and what your responsibilities are. You also need to read the fine print and see what happens if you break the covenant. Amen? I remember years ago we went to Haverty's Furniture and we bought some furniture. Living room furniture and dining room furniture and on easy payments. Yeah, right. And uh, we signed the contract and And uh, we got the furniture, and we were all excited about it. But as the months went by, the payments kept having to be made. After a few years, you know, it got to be, you know, the furniture's wearing out, and we're still making payments. And I thought, I wonder if there's any way out of this. So I got the contract down, and I started looking at it. And uh, in the fine print, it says, if I don't pay the bill, they come get the furniture. If I don't pay the bill, they report to the credit bureau. If I don't pay the bill, you know, y- y'all, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? And I thought, well, you know, I better, I better, uh, I better just keep making these payments because I don't see any way out of it. It doesn't say, say in there, oh, I changed my mind. There's not a provision for that. You know, once I signed my name to that Haverty's contract, I agreed to pay them $27.95 a month for the next five years. And that bought a whole lot more furniture back then than it does now. But boy, that $27.95 a month, that was hard. But we paid it. Paid that furniture off and gave it away. The time we got through paying it off, uh, no one else wanted to buy it. We just had to give it away. Well, in Numbers chapter 13, it talks about uh, 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 one of the actions, one of the faith actions involved in uh, in being a covenant partner with God and I just want to read one verse there numbers 1330 it says then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it I think one of the first things we need to do when we uh, come into covenant with God and put our trust in God's agreement THAT HE MADE WITH US THROUGH THE SHEDDING OF JESUS' BLOOD, IS WE NEED TO REJOICE. We, WE NEED TO REJOICE IN THIS DEAL THAT WE HAVE WITH GOD. IT'S A HAPPY DAY, FOLKS. IT'S A HAPPY DAY. WHEN GOD HAS MADE A WAY FOR US TO SHARE IN HIS POWER, HIS AUTHORITY, AND HIS GREAT RICHES. AMEN? It ought to cause rejoicing and, you know, say, well, why did I read this about Caleb? Well, you need to understand, Caleb was one of ten spies that was sent into the in, into Canaan to spy out the land. And, uh, and they're getting ready, you know, for the Israelites to cross the Jordan River and possess the land that God had given to them. God had already said, I've given you the land with all of its milk and honey and vineyards and houses and cities and you're not going to have to build a house you're not going to have to build a city you're not going to have to do any any uh, planting you're not going to have to do anything because you're just going to walk right in and take it and so you know god told moses you know send in 12 spies so that they can they can chart and so that they can spy out the land and that they can, uh, you know, develop a plan. It was basically to develop a strategy for taking the land. And so they go in and they see that everything God said about it was true. They even, they even bring back some of, the, some of the grapes from the vineyards and all this. And, um, and they give their report and they talk about yeah it's everything god said it was it's just as beautiful and grand and wonderful and well developed just like god said it would be and uh, and then they said but there are giants in the land and these the and and compared to these giants we're like grasshoppers in their sight and and uh, and so we're not able to go up and take the land Ten of the spies gave this, what the Bible calls, the evil report, that we're not able to possess what God has covenanted to give us. Many times in my life as a pastor, I've run across people, and I would share with them the promises of God for their life, and they would look at me and say, yeah, but I'm not able to possess those promises. That's easy for you to say, preacher. But me, you know, I've got, I've got these special circumstances that exempts me from the blessings of God. And I'm not able to believe God like you believe God. I've even had relatives tell me, you know, Ronnie, you know, and, they don't, and they're not saying that in reverence. They're saying that because they grew up with me. Ronnie, that works for you, but it doesn't work for me. That's an evil report. If God has promised to give you certain things based upon His covenant and you say, I'm not able to possess that, then that's considered an evil report. And it provokes God. You'll read read in the Hebrews how God God calls that the day of provocation in the wilderness where they provoked my wrath. But there were two guys there, Joshua and Caleb, two of the twelve spies that had a different report. And Caleb's, uh, we quoted here, where Caleb says, "'Let us go up at once and take possession, "'for we are well able to overcome it.'" Amen. How did he know? Th- this is a 40-year-old fella that uh, had witnessed the deliverance from Egypt, the ten plagues. He had witnessed the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. He witnessed how the sea came back together and drowned the Egyptian army in the ocean, and he'd witnessed God opening up the rock to provide water and to drink, and God providing uh, a cloud by day to give them shelter and, from the heat and fire by night to warm them up, and uh, how God had provided manna in the wilderness and all these things. I mean, he had witnessed all these things, and, uh, and he didn't forget that. And he remembered that God is a God who does what he says and takes care of his own. And on basis of that, he rejoiced when he saw the 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 promised land. When he saw his inheritance, when his eyes began to focus in on the mountain that was going to be his, he got all excited about it, and he got he he rejoiced. And he comes he comes home not with his chin dragging the ground, but with his head high, saying. It's a great land that we are well able to go up and take the country and to possess it because God promised it to us. See, that's faith. Faith rejoices in the covenant because faith believes they can have it. Everything God has promised you, you can have. But if you don't believe it, you're going to be sad about it. But if you believe it, you'll not only possess it, but you'll be, you'll happily and joyfully go for it, go after it. Look at 1 Peter 7, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7 says uh, Peter's talking about the genuineness of their faith. See, that's what God's looking for in you is genuine faith. Not religious faith, not put-on faith, not fake faith, but genuine faith. He wants you to really trust him to really believe in him, and he says here in 1 Peter 1, 7, It's more, much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So your, your faith will be tested. Just like a sword is put into a fire in order to harden the steel, your faith is going to be tried and made hard as steel because it's going to be a, a, one of your primary weapons in life. It's how you obtain everything from God, by faith. So you want your faith to be strong faith. And so God's going to give you opportunities to try it, to exercise it. Amen? So he says, "...though it is tested by fire, your faith will be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love." Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, the the goal, the chief goal is the salvation of your souls. And we receive the end the end of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls by faith. By genuine faith that's been tr- tested and tried. Now, uh, it, notice the, the role here that rejoicing has in your believing. If you believe, you will rejoice. Yes, right. I've been around Christians all my life, and rejoicing Christians are in the minority. I see a lot of complaining Christians, whining Christians. Christians that blame God, that blame the devil. You know, blaming Christians. Whining, crying. A.L. Williams called them dad gum crybabies. Those of you who knew who A.L. Williams was. He was a coach, football coach. And he he told his boys, he said, he said you're, you're, you're not going to complain, you're not going to whine, we're going to go out there and we're going to win. You see, winners don't complain, winners don't cry, winners don't whine, winners don't doubt. Winners believe, and so when they come on a field, they come on the field expecting to win. And you can tell by the way they run onto the field whether or not they're expecting to win. Amen. And then when they do win, they, they rejoice and get penalized for celebrating too much. Wouldn't be that Christians were like that, that we entered every church service, every uh, endeavor in life with rejoicing and anticipation that because I have a covenant with God, I cannot lose. I'm the winner here. In this conflict, whatever it might be, there are going to be losers, and there are going to be winners, and we are the winners. Amen. There are a lot of things going on in our country today and in the world today that look bad, that sound bad, that are bad. They stink to high heaven. We're living in the age of, of uh, the revelation. Amen where all the evils and all the wicked things that people are doing and have been doing for, you know, decades are coming to light. God's exposing the wicked. He's exposing those who appeared to be righteous but were corrupt to the bones. Some of our former, quote, heroes have turned out to be villains. We're finding out that many of our institutions have been so corrupted, they need, to be, they need to be shoved into a deep hole and buried. You want me to name them? I won't name them, I'll just spell them. F-B-I-C-I-A-I-R-S, you know. Let, let's, just, let's just shoot them all in the head and bury them. That's what you do to traitors. Put them up against the wall, and you shoot them. Praise God. What a sight. I I remember when Ceausescu, who was the dictator of Czechoslovakia, when they lined him and his wife up against the wall and shot them to death on TV. And the whole nation, the whole Czech nation rejoiced and shouted because their tyrant was dead. Amen. And I'll tell you what, they value their freedom today. And they hold on to it very desperately because they, they, they had to regain it. Well, I, I want to tell you, we're all a winning side. No matter how bad it looks, we need to rejoice because we have a covenant with God that He keeps and that cannot be annulled or done away with because it's sealed in the eternal blood of Jesus Christ. Those are shouting words. No wonder we can say, we're well able to go up and take the country. In our case, it's the United States of America. We've got friends that will be watching this video. In their case, it's Kenya or Nepal or Russia. You know, I get more views from Russia than I do anywhere else. Never even been there. I don't know who you are in Russia, but God bless you. Amen. Amen. And God bless your country. Amen. Because there are people, there are Christians all over the world that would just love to come to the United States. I mean, they, they would rather come to the United States than go to heaven. And they'll come one way or the other, right? Right? They're coming across the border illegally. Many are coming legally because the United States is a wonderful place to live. Why? Because it's established on covenant. And God has been involved. And God has helped make this a nation worthy of wanting to come to. But then there are many others who have a love for their country and a commitment for the country they're living in that wouldn't come, they wouldn't leave their country if you offered them a house in Malibu because they are committed to their own country and their own people and they love their country. Well, God bless them because they have a covenant with God that will help bring about revival and salvation and redemption for the nation they live in. Whether it be the Philippines or Nepal or Kenya or Honduras, all over the world, there are believers that their only hope is the hope they have in God. But that's enough. I'm telling you, that's enough. Because God plus one is the majority. You be the one. Amen? Uh, I like Philippians 4.19. I'm going to throw it in here. I don't know if it fits or not. But it says, And my God shall supply all your need according to. Everybody say, according to. ACCORDING TO HIS RICHES IN GLORY BY CHRIST JESUS. DO YOU KNOW THAT THAT'S A COVENANT STATEMENT? THE APOSTLE PAUL IS MAKING THIS STATEMENT, AND MANY OF US HAVE QUOTED THIS AND STOOD ON THIS FOR OUR PERSONAL NEEDS TO BE MET ALL OF OUR LIVES. AND YOU KNOW WHAT IT'S BASED IN? IT'S BASED IN COVENANT. BECAUSE GOD SAID IN THE COVENANT THAT WHATEVER I HAVE IS AT YOUR DISPOSAL. Whatever you need will be supplied. If you don't have it, I will provide it. God has said that, and he sealed it in the blood of Jesus Christ. So when Paul said, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, that's a covenant statement. And I don't believe Paul was saying this with a sad heart. I believe he was saying it in a rejoicing spirit amen he's talking to these people who had sacrificed to send him offerings people who had who had uh, you know robbed their own pantries in order to feed him and his team as they went out and did missions work and Paul is telling them, he said, he said I, I appreciate you. I thank you for your sacrifice. But he says, I want you to understand that God's not indebted to you. God's not going to be indebted to you. Everything you've given to me, God has sworn to give it back to you, pressed down, good measure, shaken together, and running over again. Amen. Amen. My God, my God, my covenant-keeping God is going to supply all your needs. All of them. That's a rejoicing faith statement. Well, you see, if you believe that, then you're going to act accordingly. Amen. When you hear about, you know, some some Christian village in Pakistan getting burned to the ground by radical Muslims who came in against them because of their faith, burned their houses and destroyed everything they had, and you hear that there's an opportunity for you to give to them, like this church did last week, then you'll rejoice. you see I, I didn't I didn't take up an offering for it I just I just told you we had we had some money in our missions fund it was actually in there for my next missions trip but I took half of it and sent it to Pakistan I, I didn't come to you and squeeze it out of you I just I, well we have got some in the bank it's just sitting there it's just sitting there waiting for me to buy a plane ticket with it to go to the mission field. And, and I'm thinking, well, I'm not going this month. I'm not going next month. So I just said, well, I'll send, I'll send $500 to Pakistan. Yeah. Well, you may think, well, that's not much money. Well, then why did it make me so happy to do it? <laughs> Amen? Amen? I didn't, I didn't do it thinking, oh, God, you know, what are we going to do now? I, mean, I just, I heard about the need through our missionary, and I just, I just said, well, the money's in, the, in there. The people gave the money. The people gave the money for missions, and I have the discretion, and, and so I didn't even call a church meeting. We didn't vote on it. I just wrote a check. Well, actually, I didn't. I PayPal'd it to them, sent it to the Philippines. It went, it went to Pakistan by way of the Philippines, You say, well, Pastor, you you had to pay the fees twice. I know, so I added more to it. I didn't even make them pay the fees. How can we do things like that? And how can we do things like that and rejoice in it? Because we know that God is not going to be indebted to us. We do our part. Our part may be feeble-looking. It may be little- it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket compared to what's needed. But God's able to take what we give as a seed and make it grow and meet the need. God's able. And so we know, we know, even though, even though we're given a drop in the bucket, we know what our God can do with a drop. And so when we release that seed and we release that drop in the bucket, we rejoice knowing that our God is our covenant-keeping God, and he'll make up the difference on the other side. Hallelujah! So we're well able to do whatever God tells us to do because we are weak, but he is strong. And when we join forces with him, the work will be accomplished. Amen. Amen. So, you know, number two act of faith is to proclaim it. To speak with confidence in the outcome of the situation. Well, I hope it works out. Well, y'all pray for me that I'll hold out to the end. Now, that's not covenant talk. Covenant talk is confident in the outcome and proclaims it says it before it sees it. Amen. How about this for a confident uh, 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 proclamation? Romans eight twenty eight, And we know. That's pretty confident. And it's a collective confidence. We. We know. Well, what do we know? What is it that we know to the point that we can boldly proclaim it? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. We know that everything God has has been relegated to be used for our good. See, God doesn't have... A lot of things that we attribute to Him. God doesn't have any cancer. He, God does not have COVID-19. Doesn't have it, never will have it. Doesn't need the, uh, an inoculation. God doesn't have murder, rape, things like that. So He's not talking about those things. BE CAREFUL WHAT YOU ACCUSE GOD OF. WHAT DOES GOD HAVE? WELL, GOD HAS HIMSELF. HE HAS HIS OWN WORD THAT HE EXALTS ABOVE HIS NAME. HE HAS HIS COVENANT WITH US. AND THROUGH HIS COVENANT WITH US, GOD IS ABLE TO MAKE EVERYTHING, ALL OF HIS POWERS, ALL OF HIS ANGELIC ARMIES, Everything in his team, and in his coffers, and in his storehouse, in his heaven, and in his earth, and in his cattle on a thousand hills, and in his gold that's under the hill. By the way, he said, all the gold and silver are mine, says the Lord. And so all the gold, and all the silver, and all the oil, and all the cattle on thousands of hills, all of God's resources, everything he has, the Holy Ghost, the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus the power of the cross, everything, the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection, everything God has will work together for your good if you love Him and are committed to your call. (laughs) Amen? To those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. So you, you need to be committed to your call and you need to love Him and that's all. That's uh, that's all it's required for that covenant blessing to be activated in your life. You need to love God and accept your call. That's a sermon in itself, which I'm going to preach next month. <laughs> I'm going to preach about it next month. But I'm telling you, folks, this deal we have with God is powerful, and so when you are making your statements, when you're letting words escape your mouth, it needs to be laced with confidence in the outcome. We call that confession. We call that proclamation. We call that prayer. We call that praise. We call it worship. Whatever you want to call it, the words that come out of your mouth need to be confident that God's promises are coming to pass in your life. Get rid of all this. Well, you never know what God's going to do. Yes, you do know what God's going to do. He's going to keep His Word. He will do what He said He will do. So I do know what God's going to do. The question is, do I know what He said? That's where you need to study. Amen? Amen. Study to show yourself a workman approved unto God, who doesn't need to be ashamed. Amen. Amen. That word "ashamed" means disappointed. You don't want to be one of God's workers who's constantly being disappointed. You need to know what to expect, Amen. and make that your confession of faith, your proclamation. So look at Mark eleven twenty two. It's Jesus answered and said to them, "Have faith in God." Yeah. Or we could say this morning. Trust in the covenant. Trust in the covenant keeping God. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, see that's words, what are you you saying that's based upon your covenant with God? Your words need to be based upon your covenant with God. What are you saying? Whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Now, before you start doubting this, I'm just reminding you, in this Bible I'm reading out of, those letters are red. You better, you better pay attention to who said it before you start saying, I think that's impossible. I, think, I don't think it's possible for me to say to a mountain, be removed, and that mountain just going to get up and go into the sea. Well, you may not think that's impossible, but Jesus sure didn't think it was impossible because he said it. And by the way, he was pointing at a literal mountain. And the mountain he was pointing at is the mountain that he's coming back to when he comes back from heaven to earth. And the Bible says when his feet touch that mountain, it's going to split in two. And, and, uh, and it's going to be washed into the sea. So the very mountain Jesus is pointing at when he makes this statement is slated for and prophesied to be removed and be cast into the sea. Read it. It's there in the Bible. If God told you something's possible, don't you tell him it's impossible. What did he say about that? All things are possible to him that believeth. And then another place he said, with God, all things are possible. Amen. Well, yeah, I believe God can do anything. No, that's not what he said. He said, with God, all things are possible. Who are you with? See, that wasn't written for God's benefit. It's written for yours. If you're with God and with God all things are possible, then that means all things are possible for you. And so when you begin to speak, you need to speak with that conviction that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Amen. Amen. Philippians 4.13. I raised my kids on that verse. And I told them, I said, don't ever say you can't. Because this says, this says all things are possible. I'll tell you how radical I was. If I heard them saying, I can't do this, I can't do my homework, I can't do my math, I can't do this, I can't do that, I'd bring them in, I'd show them where it says that they can, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And I said, you know that, don't you? And they said, yes. And I said, that's what the Bible says. And they'd say, yeah, yeah, that's what the Bible says. And I said, but you said you can't. So which is telling the, Which one's telling the truth? Is the Bible telling the truth or are you telling the truth? Well, they knew well enough to know not to tell me that the Bible's lying. So they would say, that well, the Bible's the truth. And I said, well, then what you said is a lie. And I said, what happens when you lie? I get a spanking. <laughs> yes, I paddled my children for saying that they can't. Now, a little addendum to that is today, I kind of wish I hadn't trained them so thoroughly in that because now they're doing things that scare me. And I say something, what makes you think you can do that? And they say, Dad, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that what you taught me? And I say, "Uh, Yeah. But I, I wasn't thinking about motorcycles. <clears throat> you know, I wasn't thinking about, you know, uh, bungee jumping. I, I, wasn't, I, I never even thought about balloon rides. They're doing things that I, I never had the nerve to do because they got it firmly ingrained in them that they can do all things through Christ, which strengthens them. And so that's their Confession. Anytime they come up against a problem, they, they are, both of my children are tremendous problem solvers for the people they work for, for themselves, because they just stay with it and stay with it until it's solved, because they believe they can do all things through Christ which strengthens them. When a lot of people just say, man, I'm just not technologically advanced enough to figure this one out, my kids don't do that. They just go at it and go at it and go at it and go at it until they figure it out. That scripture, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, ingrained a stubbornness in them that makes them not ever quit. Right. They're not quitters. Amen. Amen. So you ask you ask them anything, you know what, and, and just listen. They may not say those words, but you just listen to their to their proclamation, and it'll be filled with the confidence that they can do what God said they can do. And that needs to be true of all of us, no matter how hard it is. We were reading about George Washington in the Valley, uh, Valley Forge during that horrible winter when those guys were, you know, their clothes were wearing out, they did, their shoes were wearing out. Every place they went, they left a trail of blood in the snow. And it was a horrible experience, but that horrible experience made them hardened made them cling to each other, brought a unity and a unification and a, and a toughness among our troops while the British are over there having their fireside sipping, wine-sipping parties and living in luxury in the cities, you know, and while the snow was falling outside, George Washington's army is in the, in, in the woods, and George is over there in the woods praying for God's mercy on his men. And he's preaching to his men to live right, to, to have the right attitude towards God, to quit sinning. And, you know, he's, he's preaching to them. He wasn't just their general. He, he was their pastor. And they became so tough and so hardened that they wore the British out. They lost, the, the, the Revolutionary Army lost battle after battle after battle after battle, but they just kept coming back, kept coming back, and they wore the British down until the British quit and left. In the midst of hard times and tough times, you need to let your proclamation be, we will win. Why? Because we have a covenant with God. Amen. Praise the Lord. And the next thing we need to do is to exercise faith in the covenant is to advance. Amen. Always, always advance. Be determined that you're going to keep going forward. Faith is a forward motion. Remember at the, at the sea, at the Red Sea, uh, Moses went to God and said, God, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. We've got mountains on two sides. We've got the Egyptian army pressing in, the chariots of uh, Pharaoh pressing in from one direction, and we've got, we've got the Red Sea in front of us. What are we going to, We're trapped, and God, you led us here. You know what God actually did? He used the children of Israel to bait Pharaoh, and he led them to that place where there was no way of escape. Pharaoh knew they were there. And Pharaoh says, aha, I've got him now. And he comes charging in. And Moses says, what are we going to do? God says, go forward. Moses looked out there where forward was. (laughs) And God says, just raise your staff over the waters. And he did, and the waters parted. Y'all know the rest of the story. And wasn't it funny? The, the, the arrogance of Pharaoh. When he saw the waters parted and he saw the Israelites going across on dry ground, he told, his, he told his troops, go after them. He thought he had them. He thought all he had to do was catch up to them. He thought his God is the one who parted the sea. He, lit, he literally thought that. He thought it was his God that parted the sea. Because right where they crossed, there was an obelisk on the other side that had been erected for Pharaoh's God. So right in front of Pharaoh's God, (laughs) Pharaoh had false confidence. And he went in thinking it was his God that was giving him the victory. But it was our God, our covenant-keeping God, who had a covenant with Abraham, and, and, and our God led him into that trap and destroyed the Egyptian army, and they became a third-world country and have never recovered. And God's people escaped without any casualties. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well... It says in Exodus 14, 15, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Faith is a forward motion. And it's not based on circumstances. Forward was into the sea. The sea did not part until they began moving into it. Same way with the Jordan River. The Jordan River didn't part until the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the river. You've got got to have so much confidence in your covenant with God that you'll forego everything you see and you'll just act on what he said. How many times in Scripture do we have story after story after story of people doing ridiculous things that God told them to do and God bringing about great victories. How about Gideon? Take your 300 men, let everybody else go home. Take your 300 men, go out against the Midianites and uh, with uh, one sword and 300 torches and 300 pitch- pitchers and, and some horns. One sword. Gideon, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. There was one sword among them. They blew their horns, shined their lights, and the Midianites killed each other. And folks, you know what I think is happening today? I think some horns are blowing, some lights are shining, and the enemy is going to kill each other. You watch. You watch. Don't be scared. Don't be depressed. Don't wring your hands. Don't act like they've got the upper hand, don't act like they're even going to win. It is not in our vocabulary. In our vocabulary, it's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Amen? What does that mean? That means God tells you what to do, you do what he tells you to do, and God does the rest. Over and over in the Bible, you see it. Why, Why don't you just read your Bible? You know there's less words in the Bible than there are in the Sunday morning New York Times. There are people who read the New York Times from cover to cover every week. And yet, they act like reading the Bible's a chore. Not when you realize it's a contract. (laughs) And if you want to know what's yours, read the contract. And if you know what's expected of you, read the contract. And if you know who's going to win, read the contract. Amen? And then then the next thing we need to do is just obey God confidently boldly obey God's instructions knowing in advance the outcome how many examples do we need let's look at hebrews 11:7 by faith noah live your life with the goal that your name will always be associated with faith Notice it says, by faith, Noah, not by fear, Noah. God said, I'm going to destroy the world. But Noah didn't move by fear. He moved by faith. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. And that's not afraid. That's reverence. That's respect. He had respect and reverence for God. That's what godly fear is. So he's moving by faith, not by being afraid, even though God warned him of what was coming. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Amen? Noah saved the human race by obeying God. It took him over 100 years to build that ark. It took Caleb 40 years in the wilderness. Can you imagine Caleb waiting for his generation to die out? He's walking around the camp. Oh, man, there's five left. And I imagine he entertained the idea of helping them <laughs> along. Because Caleb never lost his enthusiasm, never lost his confidence that they could take the land. Because as soon as the go word was given, Caleb comes to Joshua and said, Joshua, you remember that mountain where all the giants live? I want that mountain. Give me that mountain. And Joshua said, go get it. And Caleb, at the age of 80 plus years, went out there and took the mountain that was inhabited by those giants. Him and his girls. And gave, he gave his daughter an inheritance. Hallelujah. So if you don't quit, you will inherit. Amen. I bet his daughters were happy that he was their daddy. Amen. Because that, that, that land was the best land in all the land. And the reason, the reason the giants possessed it is because they took it from all the little guys. So it was the primo land in all of Canaan. All Caleb wanted was to take it, to possess it. As soon as he got it, he gave it to his children. His dream had come true. <laughs> Amen? It may take us 40 years, but if we don't quit, we will win. We will get it. Amen? Praise God. Hebrews 10.35 says, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Everybody say endurance. 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 So that after you have, what? Done the will of God. You've got to obey. After you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. See, don't quit until you cross the goal line. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we will get there. Because we have a covenant with God. God has said, I'll help you get there. I'll help you possess your inheritance. You know what your ultimate inheritance is? I read it last week. God himself. God God has declared that he himself is your inheritance. How many of you want to possess God? You want to get your inheritance. You know what that means? That means God himself and everything he has is your inheritance. But you need to act out your faith. You need to shout. You need to rejoice. You need to go forward. You need to obey. And you need to, you need to believe and expect a good outcome. Amen? I've been in the ministry all my life. I mean, I was pastoring when I was a teenager. I wasn't pastoring a church, but I, I, looking back on it, I realized I was pastoring people. I remember when I was a teenager, people, couples would come to me and ask for marital advice. And I wasn't even married. I didn't even have a girlfriend. They'd come to me asking for marital advice. Well, what could I do? What did I know? You know what I did? I'd open the Bible. I know the Bible says something about it. Let's, let's read what the Bible says about it. And we'd get in the Bible. We'd, we'd, first place we'd go is the Book of Concordance. And we'd look up scriptures. And we'd find out what the Bible said about love and marriage. And we'd read it together. I remember one time we were sitting in the nursery at the church. I had nursery duty. And I finally worked and got all the kids sleeping. I sang to them and they all went out. <laughs> they're lying in the cribs. and here comes this couple, this young couple, married and they start talking to me and we start reading the scriptures and we start praying and God healed their marriage and just they're still married today. That was 55 years ago. and I was just a teenager. Well, what did I know? I knew I knew God. I knew God was good for His Word, and if we could find it in the Word, it would work. When I first started pastoring, I was 21 years old when I started pastoring my first church. I had a church full of problems. I didn't have a single mature Christian in the in the congregation. They were messed up, confused, living in all kinds of sin and God dropped me right in the middle of them to be their pastor. They would come in for counseling, and they would confess their sins, and my jaw would just fall open. I never heard that people did such things. I mean, I was just a church kid. I didn't know people had clubs where they'd throw their house keys in 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 a bucket and draw the house keys out, and whoever house key you drew out, that's who you went home with. And this couple in my church, they said, we did that for years. They called them swingers. And I said, you did what? They would confess the most horrible and wicked sins. And here I am, you know, first year pastor. What do you tell people like that? I'd grab that black book, and I'd open it up. And I'd say, somewhere in this contract, there's an answer. And we would find it, and God would heal their relationships, forgive their past sins, and deliver them from diseases and all kinds of problems, and restore them, and you'd never know they'd ever lived in sin. Many of them have died and gone to heaven since then. But I'm telling you, it worked. The covenant is a, is a contract that will work miracles in your life because of whose covenant it is. It's made between God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, who was representing mankind. Remember, Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. And He represented mankind. He went into a covenant agreement with God the Father, and He sealed it on the cross in His own blood. He rose again the third day, and He became the executor of that covenant. And he is, he, is, he is performing all the terms of that agreement today. And if you'll enter into it with him and be a believer and make that your basis for all your actions, the covenant will do wonders for you. It'll save your children. It'll bring your children out of homosexuality and lesbianism. Yeah, it'll save them from all the entanglements of the world because you have a deal with God. I remember my mother praying for her five children. Lord Jesus, you said in your word that if I would get saved, that not only would I be saved, but my whole house. My mother's gone on to heaven now, and so is my dad. But all five of their children and spouses and grandchildren are saved and serving the Lord today. All of us. All of us. It didn't start out that way. Some of, some of my siblings had problems. I, I was the good one. You know, but some of my siblings struggled and stumbled out of the gate. But today, they're all serving God. Today, they're all active in kingdom work. Amen. Why? Because my mama knew she had a deal with God. And she would call him on it. Amen. Bow your head with me right now. and We're going to pray. Hallelujah. You need to go forward. You need to advance. You need to press toward the prize. There's a lot of scriptures I could have read. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the, of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I don't consider myself to have arrived, but I'm pressing forward. I think sometimes we become weary in well-doing as Christians, and we quit pushing, we quit, we quit pressing, and we start settling. And I think that's one of the disadvantages of getting older is the older you get, the more you settle. I used to have huge biceps and broad shoulders and big muscles in my upper body. And I've noticed last time I looked in the mirror, they settled. They settled down around my waistline. Why? Because I quit doing what it took to build those muscles. We can't stop doing good. We can't stop doing the right thing. Don't stop going to church. Don't stop reading your Bible. Don't stop praying. Even more. Do it it even more, the Bible says, seeing that the days are evil. Do it even more. Read the Bible more. You should be reading the Bible more than you've ever read it in your whole life. You should be praying more than you've ever prayed in your whole life. You should be confessing God's promises more than you ever confessed them, not less What's happened to our faith? Why have we let our faith down? We need to pick it back up because we're in a war today, a war for our families, a war for our country, a war for the world. We're in a conflict against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness in this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not time for us to lay down. It's not time for us to retire. It's time for us to fire up and what's our basis? What are we standing on to guarantee our success? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Our usher is going to bring us the communion elements, and we're going to participate in eating the flesh and drinking the body of the Lord Jesus and entering into that covenant. You don't have to be a member of this church. It's not about church, it's not about religion, it's about Jesus. And if you're a believer in Jesus, then you're qualified to have communion with us this morning, Amen. If you've committed any sins, just confess them—not to me, not to anybody, but Jesus. Just t- tell Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you say Amen? amen. By the way, did you notice we got we've got our little cups back? I got five hundred of them this time. Amen. we got enough for a few weeks. Praise the Lord. Bible says that the very night that Jesus was betrayed, can you believe that? Judas had gone out to betray Jesus that very night, that very hour. He took the Passover with his remaining disciples. And he said, you see, he wasn't thinking about the betrayal. He was thinking about what he was doing. Amen. He said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Several years ago, I was at the church doing some work at the church, and I, I felt like I was having a heart attack. I was having all the symptoms. I told my wife, I said, if you'll lock up the church, turn out the lights, I'll go get in the car. And as soon as we can, you need to take me to the hospital. The hospital was a block and a half away. It was a broken bow hospital. Wasn't my favorite hospital to go to, but it was the best they had. And I thought, I need to go to the hospital. So she's inside, shutting off the lights, locking up the church. And I'm sitting out in the car on the passenger seat. And all of a sudden it struck me. What am I doing? And I heard these words. I have a covenant with God. Sealed in the blood of his own son. And so I said it. I said, I have a covenant with God. SEALED IN THE BLOOD OF HIS OWN SON. AND I JUST FELT LIKE I SHOULD SAY IT AGAIN. SO I SAID IT AGAIN. I HAVE A COVENANT WITH THE ALMIGHTY GOD SEALED IN THE BLOOD OF HIS OWN SON. I THOUGHT, I DON'T FEEL SO BAD NOW. SO I SAID IT AGAIN. And I said it louder, I have a covenant with the almighty God sealed in the blood of his own son. And I just said over and over as loud as I could in that vehicle. By the time my wife got to the car, I said, let's go home. I'm all right. And you know, I've never had an ache, a pain or a twinge or anything of that nature. Since then, it's been 40 something years, 30, been about 35 years. Does it work? Well, I think if you shout it loud enough and believe it strong enough, if you're mealy-mouthed about it and fearful about it and don't ever have the courage to even let those words come out of your mouth, you have a covenant, but you'll never use it. Let's use it this morning. Father God, I have a covenant sealed in the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus. And I receive the benefits. I receive the healing that's provided through your stripes. Healing for my body, for my marriage, for all my relationships, for everything that pertains to my life. I believe I am healed in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. And then He took the cup, and He said, this is the cup of the New Testament. That word testament is the same as covenant. Old Testament refers to covenant. New Testament refers to testament. A testament is is a will. You see, God wrote a will. He wrote a testament, and then He sealed it in the blood of Jesus, and then Jesus died and rose again, and now He's the executor of that testament. He's the executor of that will. The one who made the will and died is alive, (laughs) making sure the will is enforced. A lot of times, you know, people make out a will, and they'll die, and then somebody comes along after their death and changes the will. Well, God wasn't about to let that happen. He said, No, I'm going to make a will with you. I'm going to make a testament, a covenant with you. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life, and I'm going to make sure that covenant's enforced. So this covenant that we're talking about here that's sealed in the blood of Jesus, God himself is overlooking this covenant to make sure it's in force. All you've got to do is believe and receive it. Amen? Father, we thank you as we drink from this cup. THAT WE RECEIVE THE BENEFITS OF THE BLOOD OF JESUS. LET'S DRINK TOGETHER. AMEN. CAN YOU SAY AMEN? CAN YOU SAY HALLELUJAH? CAN YOU REJOICE LIKE IT'S SO? AMEN. (laughs) IT'S THE REAL DEAL. THIS IS THE REAL DEAL. HALLELUJAH. HALLELUJAH. THIS IS REAL. Before we leave, I just want every head bowed and eye closed, and I just want to give everyone here an opportunity. If you came into this service this morning and you are not right with God, you do not have peace in your heart that everything is right between you and God, if you've never been saved, never been born again, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to leave here a changed person. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to humiliate you. I'm not going to have you stand up and everybody look at you. I just want to pray with you. So if you're here this morning and you fit that category, you want to be right with God. You want to be ready to go. Just lift that hand and and I'm going to pray for you before we leave. Nobody's looking around. I'm the only one that's going to see anybody here yes sir. praise God I'll do you like my pastor used to do me I see that hand buddy <laughs> I see that hand that means that means the world to me and to you too anyone else all right let's pray why don't we just all pray this prayer out loud Heavenly Father I believe in Jesus Christ I believe he died for my sins and I believe that he rose again and I believe that Jesus is Lord in heaven and in the earth and in all this universe and I accept him as my Lord and my Savior and I ask that you wash me and cleanse me of all my sins with the precious blood of Jesus, and I give my life to you, and I pledge to follow you and to keep your words. Help me, Lord, to live a life that you have for me, and I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Let's rejoice. Now believe. Now now believe. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, second time, third time around, believe it this time. Amen? Believe that He heard you. Believe that He received you. And believe that He forgave you. Amen? Amen. Can you rejoice with us? Over one? Over one? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Well, I, I feel good. How many of you feel good? Amen. You're not going out of here depressed, are you? Amen. I want you to go out here rejoicing because you have, you have a deal with God. <laughs> Boy, have I got a deal for you. Amen.